Hey, hey, what's up? Sedano and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. Short show today. We've got 90 minutes before we get to Lakers pregame tonight as the Lakers take on the Bulls. Uh, Michael Thompson and Alan Slee will all have your coverage at 5.30. John and Michael will have the game at 7. Uh, of course, though, it, as you heard in the imaging, a big day today in and, and a somber day uh, in regards to What's happening here? You've got a big weekend with the Rams, but the most important thing is we celebrate, I think, uh, the best manager, certainly, uh, in Dodger history, arguably one of the greatest managers of all time, and I think one of the greatest personalities in all of sports in Tommy Lasorda, LZ, and we're lucky to have Stan Kasten joining us here at the top of the show, the president and CEO of your Los Angeles Dodgers. Stan, thank you so much for taking the time. How would you best describe what Tommy Lasorda means to this storied franchise? Uh, it's hard to sum up. Um, people have been asking me all day if I can use one word, I would say unique. I think that's a word that is overused, uh, but it's the word that defines Tommy. There's no one like him exactly. I don't know anyone in any team sport, in any, in any sport, that uh, is more identified with that team or with that sport than Tommy is identified with the Dodgers. He, he carried that with him on the field, off the field, whoever he was speaking to, uh, his love of the Dodgers, his identification with the Dodgers, his pride in the Dodgers. It never left him. It was sincere. It was genuine. Sometimes it came out in off-color ways, but, man, he was always there. Um, uh, I, I've been telling this story all day. He, he would sign his autographs for kids, and he would say, you and the Dodgers are great. He did this his whole life because that was the highest compliment he could pay, you know, comparing anything to the Dodgers. And so when we say goodbye to Tommy, we need to do it with Tommy, you and the Dodgers are great. Hey, Stan, can you share with us perhaps a conversation or something about him that you didn't know prior to becoming part of this organization in 2012? Well, I didn't know how many courses there were in a Lasorda dinner. I mean, geez, they went on forever. They kept bringing more and more food out. And I had so many of these meals with him over the years. Um... Uh, I, I think I knew this before. I've known Tommy for 40 years um, since back in the NBA, and, and Tommy became friends with my basketball coach, Mike Fratello, because Mike was Italian. Right. <laughs> Tommy had to be friends with him. So, And Tommy would come to our games uh, in the offseason and exhort the troops, the NBA players, right? Like he exhorted corporations, like he exhorted military installations. It's what he did all the time. So I think I've always known this about Tommy, but he was always on. He was always pushing. He was always, uh, always, uh, you know, upbeat and enthusiastic. And uh, one thing I do know, back to the dinners, we had so many around the country, uh, it became clear to me that the way I, I knew I was in an authentic Italian restaurant, I mean, a real one, was they had three pictures on the wall anywhere in America. They had the Pope, they had Frank Sinatra, and they had Tommy Lasorda. That's how I knew the restaurant 
was a real Italian restaurant. <laughs> Stan Caston, <laughs> the president and CEO of your Dodgers, joining us here on Sedano and LZ on 710 ESPN. What was the beverage of choice at uh, those at those gatherings? Well, of course, he would never be too far from a Lasorda brand wine. Um, I will tell you, I'm not a wine connoisseur. There are people who tell me there are better brands of wine, but you better not tell that to Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> he was very proud of his wine. And uh, white, red, it didn't matter. He, he always had them nearby. And I do know that this is a tribute to Tommy, but we haven't had an opportunity to talk to you at all since winning the championship. And I'm just curious as to, did you were you able to have any conversations with Tommy after we won the chip? And if so, was there any nugget in there that you would like to share with us? No, you know, well, that night, it, it's just, it, it was just amazing that he was able to get himself up uh, and his friends had gotten him a private plane um, and he flew there for that one game. This was a very, very difficult year for Tommy. And his last few months were particularly difficult, but the whole year was difficult because, remember, he was never allowed on the field. He was never allowed in the clubhouse. We were all first in a modified bubble, and then when we got to Texas, we were in an ironclad bubble, and Tommy was never allowed to go down there to mix with the players. That was his life. And he couldn't do it all year. So this was the first game he was ever able uh, to come to in the postseason. Uh, and he was still not able uh, to mix with the players. So it was hard, but he got himself up to do it anyway. And how fitting is it? How wonderful a capstone is it that the last time we all saw him, the last time he was with us, was the night we won a world championship. Um, now, as the times I have, spoke to him since then on the phone. You know, he's been in the hospital nonstop since that night. And, uh, and still, because of who he is, and the last time I spoke to him, just probably two weeks ago, I was telling him, as I told all the people around me, <laughs> the guy is going to throw out the first pitch on opening day. I don't know how he's going to throw out the first pitch uh, on opening day, maybe in a wheelchair, but he's just going to do it because he's Tommy. And this time yesterday, I still would have bet you that he would have thrown out the first pitch. But he accomplished his main goal. He made it to see us win a World Series, and it's something all of us feel. I mean, we feel great about winning the World Series, but this is that extra little measure of satisfaction because we were able to do it with Tommy and for Tommy. Stan Kasten, the president and CEO of the Dodgers with us here on 710 ESPN. It's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, there is audio, uh, or actually a video of him talking about that when he does pass on. And, and you know, it, he loved life so much, but he didn't. it seemed like death didn't bother him. I know he had a tombstone in his office like that he joked about, um, but he did have a video that I've seen surface today plenty about how he says that when he's gone, he's still going to haunt pitchers on the pitcher's mound, both the opponents and the home team, uh, to encourage them when necessary. So I would imagine uh, there'll be uh, some of that from the above with him on that pitcher's mound anyway. You know, I, I said when, when the family, and by family I mean Dodger family, when we are able to get together and have a Tommy Lasorda wake, it will be the funniest event of all time because we all have our stories. Um, he loved to laugh. He loved to poke fun at people. He loved for people to give it back to him. And, and you know, 
he did make these morbid jokes about when he passes on. You, you, you all know he said he wants the Dodgers schedule put on his tombstone so that when people come to the cemetery, they can see when the next Dodger game is. If anyone wanted a weekend of Bernie's type experience, it would have been tough. <laughs> that, that, that is what he felt about the Dodgers and uh, in life. And yes, I can't disagree with you. He would have wanted it in death as well. Well, you know me, and you know you spent a lot of time in Atlanta, in Georgia. You know the great John Lewis. I love John Lewis, so I love making good trouble. So I'm about to make some good yeah. trouble for you. Yeah. There are three people yeah. who need a statue. Scully, Fernando, and Tommy. Okay. Uh, I will add that to the list. We are a franchise blessed with so many, so many great stars. There probably aren't ways to honor all of them, but we are, as you know, on a program. Uh, until three years ago, we had no statues of any kind at Dodger Stadium. We had our first, which was Jackie Robinson. Last year would have been our second. It's going to be this year, and that's Sandy Koufax. As for the future, we don't have any plans to announce today, but uh, uh, let's stay tuned because you know we always love to keep updating and making the experience at Dodger Stadium even more special than it already is. And we can't wait to get back in there. Uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, this will be over uh, sooner rather than later, and we'll be able to enjoy uh, moments at Dodger Stadium again. Stan Kasten, Dodgers president and CEO. Stan, thank you so much for making time for us uh, on a very busy day, I would imagine. Thanks again, and, and stay safe, okay? Thanks. Same to you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, right. sir. Take care. There he is, Stan Kasten with us here. All right, LZ, uh, we have a lot of Lasorda sound, uh, as uh, Stan mentioned. Uh, funny, morbid jokes that we will play throughout the show today. Uh, we'll get into some of that. Um, there is some great audio literally up until the World Series where he took a shot. Not a shot, but had some fun uh, with Dave Roberts. So we'll have some of that uh, throughout the show, including coming up here uh, in just a moment. We didn't forget about the Lakers. Uh, we'll talk about them. We'll get into the Rams as well. Bill Plaschke will join us at 5 o'clock. Again, we're only on until 5.30 today uh, because the Lakers and Bulls game is coming up here on the station shortly. So we'll be back in four and a half minutes. Sedano and LZ, 710 ESPN. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Yeah, man, celebrating the life of Tommy Lasorda, LZ. Uh, the only way you can, because, you know, as you heard Stan Kasten, who joined us there a second ago, he liked the jokes about death. Like, he wasn't afraid of it by any stretch of the imagination. And honestly, that is the way to go. Like, you you know, what are you going to do? It's inevitable. It's going to happen at some point, right? And that was kind of his thought. Exactly. And he was a devout Catholic, so he had peace of mind about the afterlife as well, which I think goes a long way. Yeah, but we have so many great like moments of his that we could just kind of recount here. So Greg, you are the biggest Dodger fan on this show. Um, we have a laundry list of fun, crazy audio from him. Where do we, where do you want to go for actually before we go there? Like what about, like how did this resonate with you? Like clearly we saw that he was not doing so well. Um, but I would imagine for you, this had to hit 
both, uh, you know, hard and also kind of made you reflect a little bit about the good times, you know? Yeah, no, it absolutely did. I mean, I know that I, one thing that I'm very happy, and Stan kind of touched on it a little bit, is that the last memory that he had of the Dodgers was that they won the World Series. But for me specifically, I, you know, I I got phone calls and texts from all of my friends, my family, my brother, who's not a huge Dodger fan. We were having conversations about what it what we think about when we think about the Dodgers, and Tommy Lasorda is that guy. The 1988 World Series, when he's running out after – um, after the home run from Kirk Gibson, that's what you think about when you think of Tommy Lasorda, him with his two arms raised up in the air, running onto the field because he's just so happy. I mean, that's what I think about when I think about the Dodgers and and Tommy Lasorda. So this one hurt. I mean, he is he, he was one of those guys that no matter what, if you saw him, he would take a picture with you. He would sign an autograph. He did anything that you ever wanted. He was always very, very kind and very, very sweet to everybody. So I, I just really, really miss him. Yeah, man. I would imagine, um, you know, when you think about just kind of the, as we talked about during Purgatory, like just the big personalities. And look, there's a lot to compete with in this town, LZ. And, and you know, but he is near the top. Like when you think about, uh, all the guys, Magic, right? I mean, Shaq, Phil Jackson, right? Just all the big names, Kobe Bryant, uh, who have played here, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Like, you can go on and on and on and on. LeBron James, obviously, now. Um, you know, and, and, and even in Dodger lore, there's plenty of them that you can go down that list with. But none bigger than him, I don't think. Like, he is, you, you know, I mean, at least I can't think of anyone, at least in the combination of winning what he meant to the sport, and just personality, just kind of that entire uh, mix there. Like, I, I don't think there's anyone in the Dodger lore that can compare to him. I would extend it beyond the Dodger lore. Because typically what you get of the things you listed is one in a person. Right. You get the wins. You know, I was in Atlanta when Stan was down there. And Bobby Cox will give you nothing but wins. But the big personality, eh. No, that wasn't his deal. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't was his deal, right? Occasionally. Was but, yeah. Exactly, exactly. You may have other managers who are big personalities but don't have the wins. Yeah. Um, you may have a manager who's got the wins, who's got the personality, but as soon as they're done with the sport or the game, they're out of there and they're no longer heard of or they're not no longer a big part of the city where they achieve so much. And so to have someone have all three of those boxes checked – um, it's rare. Yeah. And I mean, he's it's one he of the reasons became, why he's lasted so long. He's the Dodgers, like, when you think about it, right? Like, if you had to put, like, a face and a name to the organization, um, you know, because of the longevity, uh, you know, for his own career, right, as the manager, and then beyond that, he was always so present, um, you know, in regards to the organization, that he was yep. the face of the, of the franchise in a lot of ways. Brionis, I know that you're a big Dodger fan, um, what, what, what went through your mind today? Uh, well, I first knew about the Dodgers because my grandpa, he was like, oh, in, in Spanish, oh, La Sorda, el mejor, el mejor entrenador, you know, like the best, right? La Sorda was the yeah. best. So just hearing about it, man, I, first thing, threw my uh, Dodger hat on and let's go. You yeah, know, remember him, yeah let's for sure, man. You know, like it, it is, it, especially in the Latino community, man, when it comes, baseball, look, everybody loves the Lakers. There's, I'm not just debating that, but baseball, not everybody, I can list. I can list 13 people who probably don't. Okay, well, there you go. There, the, minus the clip, those 13 the Clippers, people. The Clippers and the owner. The minus those 13 <laughs> people. Um, you know, it, it is one of those things that, 
you know, the, the Latino community, remember, originally there was some things going on there, right, uh, with the franchise back in the 60s because of the way the stadium was built. But they regained all that. And that all, you know, Fernando, to your point, LZ, which is why I always believe to, that you've always made such a great point about him needing a statue or him needing to be recognized more, uh, really helped that. And I think Lasorda um, and his uh, belief in Fernando, um, mm-hmm. I think, was a, was a big part of that, too. And, and, you know, so beloved in that community are the Dodgers. Um, but, you know, Greg, you had a funny story. I don't, did you tell it on the air? Or did you tell us off the air about your friend who approached Lasorda in a trout jersey? Uh, no, that was Mason that had somebody t- t- uh, tweeted into Mason. He talked about it. Oh, I see. Because, the, the, you know, in, in one of the great quotes that Tommy had was about the Angels. He said, the only Angels in Los Angeles are in heaven, and they're looking down on the Dodgers. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of those moments. Um, but, you know, we talked about how he would be – one of these dudes that doesn't didn't care about you know making fun of death or whatever. He had a tombstone, as I mentioned uh, earlier. I know Arash Markazi many years ago on ESPN.com had a story about that uh, in his office. Uh, but we talked with Stan about him and Tommy and him wanting to haunt the mound in the afterlife. Uh, Briones, I think we have that audio somewhere. If we have that audio, it's only 45 seconds. I would love to hear Tommy describe how he's going to haunt the mound uh, in the afterlife. And, and again, we're, you know, we're going to be on the mound here pretty soon as pitchers and catchers are reporting in about six weeks. So if we have it, let it rip. I love this place. Sometimes I sit here and I can't believe it. Blue heaven on earth. And that's what I think. I used to say, hey, if you want to get to heaven... You got to go through Dodger Stadium. I'd like to be buried under the pitcher's mound. And when some little old left-hander's out there struggling, he'll hear a voice, slow down, son, concentrate. You can do it. You got to believe in yourself. And he'll look around. Someone's talking to me. Where, who's this guy talking to me? It'll be Tom Lasorda underneath that pitching mound telling him to slow down. You can do it. That's pretty awesome stuff. So we'll have a lot of that throughout the show today. We're only on until 530 uh, since the Lakers are taking on the Bulls tonight. Sliwa and Michael will have your pregame at 530. John and Michael will have the game at 7 o'clock here on 710 ESPN. Uh, But coming up next, speaking of the Lakers, LZ, uh, an L yesterday, and there was a lot of chatter on Lakers Twitter yesterday about one former Laker. And we'll tell you who that is in just a moment. Uh, We will have that for you. But first, mi amiga, Karen Kay with traffic. Thank you, George. I'm going to go out to the uh, Inland Empire, keeping an eye on this crash in San Bernardino. It's got the left lane taken away, 210 eastbound. It's right after Highland Avenue and Arden Avenue. Now we have a car on fire, so big problems Traffic is already stopped from Waterman Avenue and Highway 18. This report sponsored by the California Labor and Workforce Development Agency. It's your employer's job to protect you from workplace hazards. If your employer is not keeping you safe from COVID-19 at work, you have the right to file a complaint. Know your rights. Visit dir.ca.gov forward slash COVID with traffic at Karen K710 ESPN. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. 
Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. So, yep, we will be celebrating Tommy Lasorda's life. We'll be playing all sorts of fun audio from his days, um, you know, literally up until he passed um, and through the World Series. There was a fun moment he had with Dave Roberts uh, before a World Series game uh, that we'll have for you here in just a few minutes. We'll talk some Lakers here in a moment, too, including one particular player that drew the ire of Lakers fans last night on social media. But, LZ, you have an update. I do. As you recall, we had a discussion about Girl Scout cookies. We did. And producer Greg uh, foolishly said that Thin Mints are better than Samoas. Mm-hmm. He so did. I put up a poll. You did. And the results of the poll have been finalized. Oh, I can't wait. You're too excited. I don't like this. You're too excited. 44% of those polled believe Greg is right. Mm. That's out of three. That, wait, wait. That's out of three options. So that's pretty yes, good. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. 12% believe that Girl Scout cookies are just nasty. 12% of people actually believe Girl Scout cookies are that's, nasty? That's ridiculous. 12, 12, 12% of responders to my poll. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do but that, that right. that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty uh, That's, that's pretty 56. Upset. That's We're a sizable uh, margin. I was, uh, I'm and disappointed. 44% believe that Greg is cray. Whoa, so in now, other words, wait, wait, wait. half the country believes he's cray <laughs> and half the country split. believes he's right. Wow, we have uh, just another moment in uh, the polarization of America. Yeah. I think I need to do a runoff. Yeah, I think you need to take that one, uh, the one out. Yeah, the twelve percent out. The uh, Girl Scout cookies are cray, or Girl Scout cookies are nasty, or whatever it was. Yeah, whatever yeah, those I, people are saying. So yeah, they, who cares? Like honestly, we don't need their vote to be honest with you. So there, there you go. <laughs> wow. Um, right. we, we can move on. They're like the you know the Green Party. You know, at this in this day in this. Uh, well, they can ruin an election. They had, you know? Well, clearly they did here. Um, <laughs> they just so did here. There you go. That. There is uh, that. So maybe there will be a runoff. Are you ready for a runoff, Greg? Are you okay with it? Yeah, I'm ready for a runoff. We can actually have a full-on debate next week if you want. Oh, okay, fair we enough. Will. Well, consider we only have like a one show, I believe, <laughs> next week on Thursday. Maybe we'll do that then. Well, we um, have lots of opportunities to get our ads together, maybe yeah. get a strategic team together, get some yeah. people on the grassroots level to pass us some flyers. We need to work this thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of working this thing, Yes. You and I talked about how the Lakers feel like a combination of a team that's figuring it out because there's a lot of new pieces and a team that's coasting a little bit, right? That was kind of the the way we've assessed them thus far. Um, now, granted, I understand beating a team three times in a row is hard, especially in a week, um, especially when the other side has a coach like Greg Popovich, no matter what their talent level is. But it felt like the Lakers underperformed yesterday. And I know, Jorge, uh, there's an Anthony Davis cut somewhere. If you just kind of let me know in my ear when that's ready. 
uh, about their defensive efforts or lack thereof. Uh, but LZ, their defense was bad yesterday. It felt but they didn't play any. Yeah, it was non-existent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we'll hear from AD in a minute. Um, so a lot of people on Twitter mm-hmm. were talking about Dwight Howard. Who? Dwight Howard. Where did and I know that name from? There were he used to play for the Lakers. Played twice ah. actually for the Lakers. Uh, oh. There were, but there were two trains of thought. Okay, when it came to him, two lines of thought. Okay, mm-hmm. and um, tell that person you have to decline the call. Pacos tacos. Buenos dias. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, so, this person I need to text back. Go on. Okay. So, this, uh, this, so the line of thinking was, man, we need Dwight, right? Like, we could use him on this roster. So, they missed Dwight. That was the line of thinking. But the other line of thinking was people blaming Dwight and saying, you know what? Dwight got all up in his feelings because the Lakers felt like they needed to, you know, improve upon or, you know, make additions to that particular part of the roster. And because of that, his feelings may have been hurt, and he decided to walk to Philly for potentially, in theory, right, a worse shot at a championship and similar money. Um, So, you know, both sides make a lot of sense. I'm not normally the both sides are good people kind of guy. But uh, in this particular debate, LZ, I could see both sides of this. Well, I mean, you remember what I said during free agency. Yeah, you were. So you already. So you already know right. what side but, I'm but, on. But what about the other side? The blame Dwight for being in his feelings a little bit because it was strange that he went to Philadelphia for similar money. Listen, I'm not blaming the player for taking what he thinks is a better opportunity. Okay. I just wonder why the Lakers didn't make him feel as if this was the best opportunity for him. And maybe, you know, some of the rumors about him demanding more offensive touches was a turnoff. Maybe it was that they felt they needed what Marcus Saul can bring, which is a little bit more offense, which helps them obviously spread the floor. And then Gasol's passing is, you know, among the best for a big man. But I said at the moment, and a lot of people, the Twitter people you're talking about, were jumping all over me for being a negative Nancy. But I said at the exact moment, we need that body. Based upon what I had witnessed during that season, Dwight Howard was a huge part of us winning that championship. Otherwise, the series, particularly with Denver, may be a little bit longer. And who knows what happens? Because Denver, as we saw, has a tendency not to die when they're dead. Right. By the so, way, side note real quick. Yep. Jamal Murray doesn't look like top 30 Jamal Murray right now. Nobody looks top 30 right now. This is early. I'm not really thinking about that. Okay. LeBron's shooting less than 50%. Are we going to say he's old? Nope, I don't think so. So anyway, as but I was saying. <laughs> as As I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, I knew then, looking at the construction of the team, that a, having a bigger body was a need. And I know you were pushing for Marcus Gasol, and you remember I was like, eh, on Marcus Gasol because of what we're sort of witnessing now. Right. But foul, I also, foul, I also foul prone because he's not as fast, a little bit slower. So I understand why people are freaking out about the defense. But with all of that being said, with all of that being said, do not freak out about our defense because we didn't feel like playing the Spurs last night. 
Right. Because that's agree. what that was. Right. And we that, didn't feel like playing the Spurs last night. That's yeah, what that was. I just think they don't know if they – some of them I don't think – some of these guys I just don't think feel like playing. <laughs> like, And I think that's part of it for numerous reasons. Even before what transpired this week, I'm just saying, you know, before that, because of the layoff, the quick turnaround, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, AD put it pretty succinctly yesterday. Here's what Anthony Davis had to say. We didn't play any defense. Our defense was shit. Um, we didn't play one lick of defense, and them guys did whatever they want. They came into this game very comfortable. Um, guys made shots, made plays, and uh, we got off to a slow start. Um, and we never, you know, even though we came back and got some stops, we we uh, we never had a game in control, and we we never played defense from the opening tip to the final buzzer, and uh, that's why we lost. Um, yeah, but shouldn't he also be part of the solution there? Well, yeah, he should be part of the solution, but he can't, you know, he can't do everything. Isn't that what Giselle said about Tom Brady? He can't do it all. Right. So AD can't do it all. Um, so who's I, Wes I, Welker here then? <laughs> oh, I don't know. But I, I will say this. While I still hold fast to my instant analysis as we were putting together our, you know, offseason team, about Dwight Howard and what he brought that we needed to replicate, I'm not willing to hinge all of that based upon what we witnessed last night. No, agreed. I, I, it, look, this team is going to be different. We talked about this at nauseum, right. so I think that's part of it. Greg, who who is Wes Welker in this scenario? I mean, obviously it's Coos, right? I mean, for the love of God. <laughs> he can't, this man's just catching strays every single day on this show. Wow. Um, yes, as he should. All right. So we've been promising you, and coming up next, we'll talk to Bill Plaschke. He's going to stop by. Uh, We will talk to him about the great late Tommy Lasorda um, and just kind of what he means uh, to this community, what he meant to that franchise, what he became with that franchise. Uh, Bill Plaschke, great columnist of the LA Times, friend of the program. We'll stop by in a few moments. Um, But speaking of which, LZ, we've been telling Mm -hmm. people we're going to play some fun audio with Tommy. He always loved, uh, you know, uh, to call it like he saw it, right, and uh, and and keep it all on the uh, kind of a fun and light tip. Well, you know, before the final game of the World Series, Dave Roberts was doing his, uh, you know, pregame uh, media responsibilities, and old Tommy was around, and Tommy made sure to have a message for Dave uh, before that final game, and this is courtesy of the Scott Van Pelt Sports Center. Hey, Tommy. That's quite an entrance, I gotta tell you. That's right. It's great. He's authentic. He's awesome. <laughs> so there you go. He he caught Dave's attention and he told him before the final game, you haven't done bleep until you win tonight. So uh, and there you have it. And Dave knew it. He's not. He wasn't wrong. Oh yeah, he knew it. He yeah. definitely knew it. Uh, Dave and I talked about that moment. Uh, sh- you know, sometime after they won the chip, and, and a little bit about Tommy. Just you know, because I was just curious. I was like, going, did that loosen you up or tighten you up? Yeah. And he actually said at the time. Um, he wasn't aware of any change because he was so focused on trying to do just that, win one more game. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but Tommy's the best. Even even there near the end, uh, Tommy still could be Tommy Lasorda. So uh, we will talk more with Tommy Lasorda. Uh, with Bill Plaschke, again, LA Times columnist, who's going to join us in four minutes. We've got what you need to know in there as well. All coming up in four minutes. Sedano and LZ, 710 ESPN. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Bill Plasky joins us in a minute. It's time for What You Need to Know, brought to you by Morongo. Play it safe, good times. Greg, what do you got? All right, so Kyrie Irving is sitting out tonight's game against the Memphis Grizzlies due to personal reasons, and some of the controversy around it is that head coach Steve Nash has not heard from him. LZ, well, it, how you feeling it, about your boy? Well, it was yet to be clear, it was yesterday's game he hadn't heard right, from him. No. He has now since heard from him uh, right. prior to the Memphis game. But the controversy last night was that he had not heard from him, and Steve admitted that to the media, LZ. Yes, 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 he did, and... I will simply say this. He knew what he was getting into. The reason why I know Steve knew what he was getting into, because everybody in his circle that I've spoken to told him. So, so I'm going to assume he's mentally, psychologically, and spiritually, and all the leads you need to be prepared to roll with the ebbs and flow of Mr. Kyrie Irving. Yeah, look, and, and I can understand with the events of this week that you may need a personal day. Hell, I mean, I thought about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure you did too, LZ. Like, just in general, it was a very bad week, right? Like, there's no way around it. Um, however, when that was a possibility, we talked to our bosses about it, right? Like that, Like anyone else would. And Steve Nash, in essence, is Kyrie's boss. And for the coach or the front office to not know um, or not hear from him, even though he did text his teammates, I felt that was kind of the line where I'm like, I get it, man. Like, I'm good with you if you want to take a day off, but you got to let somebody know, you know, like somebody right. who's in charge, you know, like that right. would, that's my big beef with him. Well, it, you know, it's, he's, he's different. And I don't know why he's different. You yeah. know, I've interviewed him. I know you've probably interviewed yeah. him. You know, a lot of people have interviewed him and we all come away feeling the same way he's different and you need a phil jackson zen sort of personality sure. to manage that yeah yeah steve does have that personality yeah but this is his first brush with Kyrieism. yep all right that's what you need to know brought to you by morongo play it safe good times you're listening to ksb in los angeles and obviously we've been celebrating the life of dodger great tommy lasorda today Thanks to Stan Kasten, who joined us a little earlier in the show. If you missed that, you can always subscribe to the Sedano and LZ podcast on the ESPN app, uh, Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you find your podcasts. And our next guest is LA Times columnist, the man, legend, Bill Plaschke, who you can, of course, read him, as I mentioned, in the LA Times. You can check him out as my colleague on Around the Horn. Uh, we love Bill around here. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time. Hope you and yours are all safe and healthy. Thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, it's a, it's 
sad day, but it's a day to celebrate and a day to remember that. I'm sure you've heard this from many people. There's never been one like Tom. You'll never be another one. I mean, they're not going to make it like they can't make it like him anymore. They can't. They don't make it like like him anymore. He's just uh, he's the most incredible character I've been around in my 40 years of sports writing because he's just. You know, he was such a contradiction. He was so full of life, and he can be so tough on people, and he was so he so loved the Dodgers, and he so loved his players. But he could also, you know, he was such a competitor, and he also fought, and he was he was surrounded by people, and he loved people so much, and he hated, it's funny, he hated to be alone. And that was one of my first recollections of him, was when I first started covering him as a beat writer for the LA Times in 1988. Nine, and he wants. We're in, in Wrigley Field on a Sunday, and he's he's you know he's he's eating as usual. So it's eleven o'clock in the morning. He's on his fifth piece of pizza, pregame pizza, and he says, and everybody's gone. The players are on the field. And he says, "Stay with me." I said, "Tommy, the game's getting ready to start." He goes, "Stay with me until I finish my pizza." And I said, "I, I got to get back up and go to work." And he said, "If you stay with me, I'll give you a scoop." <laughs> so I so I sat there, and I, and he goes, "In fact, you've got to eat." Eat two pieces of pizza, and I'll give you a scoop. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, I had just had a wonderful brunch at the Westin Hotel in downtown Chicago about two and a half hours ago. But I sat there and ate it and got it down, and he gave me a scoop. And then as we, as he's telling me it's about some injured player or something, you can hear the national anthem playing out, out in the field. And he, he and I were the last ones in the clubhouse. But <laughs> he had funny. to have his eating, and he had to be with somebody. There's another time he wanted he – was, it was after a game – and he said, Plasher, I got something I gotta tell you. And I said, What? He said, Wait here. And he strips naked and gets in the shower. And he says, Hand me the soap. So I'm handing him the soap and I said, Tommy, what is it? And my notebook's getting wet. I'm getting damp. I'm standing outside the shower. And he says, Talk to me, just talk to me. I said, Tommy, you're you, you know, get yourself clean first. I mean, do you do you really need me here while you're bathing? <laughs> and he's like, No, I want you here, Plasky. Talk to me. And I talked to him, and I, and I kept him company, and he gave me a scoop. I mean, he was he was like that. He was so full of life. I mean, this is a guy who once, as, he, as you know, he's famous for ripping a reporter for asking about Dave Kingman's performance. We all heard that. Mm-hmm. And all of his, you know, vitriol about other teams. Yet the same guy once talked, and I know this firsthand, talked a young man out of a coma and made the young man his bat boy. I mean, he you know, he, he won the World Series in 1988. The most incredible managerial job I've ever seen done. Tough as nails, smart, savvy baseball man. Yet the same year, he built a convent for the for the nuns in Nashville by, through his weight loss program. So he was he was a real dichotomy of, of, of paradox of personalities. Tough and tender, you know, really you know, really competitive, yet really you know, embracing. He was he was he was one of a kind. Bill, I want to pull back just a little bit um, because, you know, a lot of journalists this year or the last 12 months anyway have had difficult times for a variety of reasons. But you in particular, you've had to write pieces about Kobe as well as Lasorda and in between that dealing with COVID-19 yourself all within a 12-month period. So I'm just curious as to how are you doing? Oh, well, thanks for asking, Elsie. That's very kind of you. I'm, I have some lingering stuff from the COVID, and I don't know what's going on with me, but I'm trying to figure that out right now. But it's weird. With, when Kobe passed away, 
I, I, when I heard about it, I started writing and I immediately started bawling or called, cried all over my laptop, cried for three hours with Tommy. I had written. So it's interesting. I wrote the obit. This here's how tough Tommy is. I wrote the column that appeared in today's paper three years ago. <laughs> I wrote the heart of it because we, cause we, cause we thought he was going then. Right. And he fought back. So I write it. And then he's, he's in the hospital in dire conditions. For five days later, he's on the field at Dodger Stadium. So I go down to talk to him, and, and I'm uncomfortable. And Thomas says, what's wrong, Plashka? You seem, you seem weird. I said, well, I just wrote your freaking obit. <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed. But anyway, so we, you know, in the last several weeks, we you know, touched it up and spruced it up and, and updated and everything. Um, but I started, so I heard about it today, and I was expecting it. But then I started reading my obit over again, and I started crying all over again. So this is yes, it's been in, it's at the end of an era for a lot of people in L.A. A lot of people grew up with Kobe. They grew up with Tommy. If you didn't grow up with Tommy, you certainly followed him. He was the most, at one point, and I don't think people realize this, he was the most famous baseball player in the world. He was one of the most famous sports figures in the world. I don't want to call him an athlete, but uh, he would kill me if I said that. But he was the most famous sports person in the world. And, yes, it's been really – it's hard to see the changes. There'll never be another Kobe. You know, LeBron, I love LeBron. He'll never be another Kobe. There'll never be another Tommy. I love Dave Roberts. love Clayton Kershaw. But there'll never be another Tommy. Tommy invented – he really made the Dodgers what the Dodgers are. Because he, he took a – pretty much a button-down team from Brooklyn – and made them accessible to all, embraceable by all. You could laugh at them. You could make fun of them. You could joke with them. You could cheer them. You could boo them. He was, he was, you know, he he took it all, and, and kept and always would always get that right index finger and pointing at you, and that left index finger and a bony finger and pointing at you and say, "You better love the Dodgers, or you're not going to go to heaven." Or this is a Dodger has this is a blue heaven on earth. Or you know he would scream and scream and scream about the Dodgers, and it was tremendous. I mean, you would walk into a room and sure you all have that same thing. If he saw you at a corner of his eye, Plastic, get over here, Plastic, get over here. I mean, he called that to everybody. He was also great. Had so I remember when I was covering a team. He the end of his career, his managerial career, he made some more interesting decisions, pretty bad decisions sometimes. I mean, there was a time he fell asleep on the bench because he'd work so hard and do all these appearances and he'd be wiped out by game time. Anyway, so I'd go to the players and say, you know, and the players were mad at him late, late in his career. And I'd say, well, talk about him. Tell me what you think about the manager. Is he doing his job? You want to talk about it? And they're like, Bill, how can we rip a guy who our kids call Uncle Tommy? How can we rip him? And, and nobody ever did. Nobody ever criticized him. Never the subject of a mutiny or an uprising or anything like that in the clubhouse because he treated them as like, like his family. He treated, he met my parents and he told them I was a Pulitzer prize winner. <laughs> he told them I was the best writer in the, in the, in the universe. And then I saw him the next week with some other writer telling his parents the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> he was wonderful. Like he could really make you feel, he made people feel at home. He made Dodger stadium, everybody's home. And I can't, stress that enough and in the end it was what he had remember he was you all saw him down sitting down in the owner's box by himself 
He'd come to every game. He couldn't bear to leave it. He was never going to quit. He, was, he wanted to, he told me this once during the winter when I was writing a book with him. He wanted to die on the dugout steps. And, you know, uh, you know, he never got that wish. But uh, today, I think, you know, everybody can see, still see him in the dugout managing his butt off. He was a good manager, by the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was a really good – people figure he was a really good manager. And his best managerial uh, job, his best managerial um, triumph was the Olympics. In oh, that's right. That's right. You cannot forget that. He took a group of minor leaguers. He didn't know their names. Right. So he didn't know. So he calls me and says, okay, we, we got our team together. I said, who's your first baseman? I'm not sure. Doug something. He didn't know, he didn't know his players' names. He came out of retirement. I said, Tommy, this is a joke. I wrote, it's a joke. Lasorda doesn't know who the players are. How's he going to manage them? And then he wins the gold medal, beats Cuba in the gold medal game. Right. So he, so he's at the press conference afterward. He's screaming at me in front of the international media. Plasky there. Plasky didn't know, didn't believe. He didn't believe. Now you believe Plasky? And these international writers are like, who the hell is Plasky? I didn't know who I was talking about. And I, so I screamed back at it. I said, Tommy, Name your second baseman right now. Name him. He couldn't name him. I mean, he, he got names. Yeah. Yet, God bless him. So he marches out. His moment of triumph, Olympic gold medal winner, and he's the most biggest patriot ever, as you know. Yeah. He goes out to stand on the podium, and he, he gets stopped by an official. Because in the Olympics, managers and coaches don't get medals. That's a little-known fact of the Olympics. Coaches and managers and team directors, they don't get medals. I did not know he that. wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't allowed. He didn't know that either. He's like, get the hell, get the hell off him and going out to celebrate with my team. So no, you can't. So he realized this, and he was really hurt. He was really hurt by it. But he stood there with his hand over his heart and cried during the anthem. But he was hurt. And the minute he got back, Peter O'Malley gave him a gold medal at Dodger Stadium. So that was good. But Tommy, yeah, he was. It was always something. It was always drama with him. Drama, drama, drama. Um. Bill, without getting into too much detail, I'm just curious because you wrote about it back in 1991. Did he ever fully reconcile with his son? Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll get into any detail you want with that. Um, <clears throat> his son, Spunky, Tommy Jr., was a regular around the clubhouse, a beautiful young man, just a really cool kid. And he was gay. And Tommy, you know, Tommy struggled with that a little bit, I think. And in the end, though, in the end, they they did reconcile. And Tommy took care of him when he was sick and brought him soup and stood by, it was sat, sat by his bed and all that at the end when his son was dying of AIDS. Although Tommy never recognized that it was AIDS. He always said it was cancer. And I was covering the team at the time. And I got a lot of heat from the Hollywood community for not writing or not, you know, at, at the time we didn't know, we hadn't seen the death certificate, so we didn't know for sure what it was. But for not, for, for writing it was cancer and not pressing Tommy on the issue. And my stand at the time was, he's a grieving father. I'm not going to mess with the grief. He grieves as he wants to grieve. Let him grieve as he wants to grieve. Even Tom Cruise called me, the actor called me, and was furious. How come you're letting this, letting this off the hook? How come you're not holding his feet to the fire on this? This could be a great moment, an important moment for 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 uh, for all people is to recognize someone died of AIDS 
and to make it more public and to make it put shine a light on it. And I'm like, he's a private Tommy Jr. They called him Spunky was a private figure, and his father grieved, didn't want any part of it. So we didn't know what to do, frankly. We didn't know what to do. So eventually, GQ magazine came out with a story that found the death certificate and said it was pneumonia, probably from AIDS. So that's where it became public. But even till his death, Tommy never recognized that. And again, I just chalk it up to it's a grieving father, and it's in my business to out the grieving father and make fun of him or condemn him for how he grieves. So it was, yes, it was, that was a really tumultuous time. And I, and I included it in his obit in his, in my column today, because it was an important part about who Tommy was. And then at the end of the day, the answer to your question, long answer to your short question, he did reconcile with them. He was loving and generous at the very end till the very end. So he, he made his peace with that. And next time we have you on, we got to talk about that call with Tom Cruise, like how that happened. Like, like seriously, like I want to know how, how, what your reaction was when Tom Cruise. Well, you got to understand, the other the LA, back then, the LA Times, we were the only. I know there was no there was there was no internet. Yeah, so I was like I was like the man back then. I mean, I was like the the Dodger. The, 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 I wasn't the man, but I was the Dodger purveyor of information. So yeah. that was the only guy anybody read about the Dodgers. Yeah, so all oh, Hollywood people call me all the time, mad about some, one thing or the other. I want to be Bill Plasky when I grow up. That's what I want to be. No, Bill. back in the 90s. <laughs> Times have changed, my friend. But no, yes. no, that is not true. You are Bill, did, it, did he yell at you like he yelled at those people on the set on that recording that we heard with the Mission Impossible <laughs> movie? Yes, yes. He was very upset. He was extremely upset. Oh, man. That's and his life happened. And he, he made a good point. He made his points were all well taken. And, well, and I just said, do I condemn the grief of a father. I didn't know what to do. I no, you did the right thing. I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to yeah. do. I think you did the right thing. That's a personal thing, man. You know what I mean? Like that 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 yeah, I think you did the yeah, right thing. Yeah, but he could have done in hindsight and this is what Tom said, it could have done so much. It, no, he's right. But but, you, but that's a personal thing. Imagine that Tommy Lasorda coming out and saying, you know, at at that time because imagine that his son died of AIDS, that would have been so important for the for the whole understanding and exposure and importance of the, of the disease. And it was a myth. And I told Tommy this, and you know, I've gotten in fights with him about this for years. I said, you just missed opportunity, Tommy, you're missing, you missed an opportunity. Yeah. But I'm not going to be the one to condemn it on it publicly because again, it's, it's, he's a grieving father and he grieves as he grieves. Yeah. No, for sure. I I'm with you. It's a tough decision. I think you made the right call. It's the call I would have made. Um, Bill, before we let you go, actually, you know, we, this is going to be our last segment anyway. So, cause we've got the Laker game coming up and for those listening in right now, Anthony Davis will not play, uh, in tonight's game against the bulls, a strain abductor muscle. Um, so oh, he's no, got a strained temper. He's mad. AD's mad at everybody over there right now. That's why yeah. he's not playing. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's that. There's a little bit of that after that game <laughs> yeah. yesterday, after what he said. Um, but before we let you go, because we got a couple minutes here, I, want, I do want to ask you about the Lakers, but the Rams are playing a playoff game. Um, you know, they're telling us we don't know who the quarterback's going to be, but I feel like we all know who the quarterback's going to be. What do you make of their chances this weekend? Not great, but. I think they got to play John Wolford. That's what I think they are. Whoa! Oh, yeah. I wrote that this week. I, yes, I absolutely think they should. He gives them versatility. He gives them a third down option with his legs. He's smart. He, he, his brain is connected to McVeigh's in a way that Goff is not. Goff is really smart, too. And Goff's a great quarterback. 
I mean, not a great quarterback, but he's really smart too. But for whatever reason, Wilford executes McVay's vision. You just need somebody not to blow it. The defense can win the game for you. It's the best defense in the NFL. And it'd be a shame if the best defense in the NFL can't advance past the first round. I don't know if they can do it with Jared Goff. I think they can do it with John Wolford. And I'm saying that right now. But I think they're going to start Jared Goff. I mean, I think if Goff is, if his thumb is even 75%, they're going to start him. And I think that's a mistake. And I will go back on that. And I will take full responsibility for that decision if the Goff leads into victory. But I don't see them. They haven't played well enough. They haven't played well the last month. I don't see them winning. What do you all think? Well, I believe that um, that they will start golf if he can go. But if he is struggling, he will be subbed in by halftime for the Wolf. Yes, yeah, I think that. And they can, they can use the injury as an excuse. Yeah, yep. I, I think LZ is on, is, is on the money there. I, 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 look, the Rams are an underdog. Uh, I've been known to occasionally place a wager or two, and I placed them uh, a placed a plus four and a half bet on the Rams uh, for this weekend. What do you like? You like you like Cam Akers? You must love Cam Akers, then. I do, I and I think that defense. defense. And and, and they've the won. Defense. They've won five out of six against these guys. Like they they kind of own them a little bit, you know. Except the last time they played them up there, they didn't own them. No, yeah, I it's, know it's going to be a good game. But I'm no, believe me, I think they'd be great for the Rams to win. It'd be great for the city to get another playoff game. And you never know in this tournament. You never know. But I think they need to start Wolford. They want to win. They got to start Wolford. I think if if they win, it'll be because of Wolford. That's my call right now. Wow. All right. All right. right. See you, fellas. Yeah, I'll be we'll back see. on the show if they win and Wolford leads into victory. We're bringing you back. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. we bring you back whenever, no matter bring what. Bring you back whenever. But, yeah, exactly. But, but, but we're definitely bringing you back if that's the case, because then we need the lottery numbers if we if we need yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lottery. Uh, it's a safe bet. Do it today. Do it. Listen to Sean on your way to the airport. Do it. Oh, man, that's great. Bill Plasky, the legend, L.A. Times columnist. You are the best, sir. Stay healthy, stay safe, and thank you so much for always making time for us. Thanks, guys. You guys are great. See you. All right. Take care. There he is. Thank you, Bill sir. Um, there it is. So he's called his shot, LZ, just like you. On, well, you on know, we're shot callers, my friend. We're shot yeah. callers. I earnestly believe that if golf is struggling, he should be subbed out at halftime and, let, and ride with the wolf. Hungry like the wolf? <laughs> so, again, if you're just tuning in, we're this we're going to go to break here in a, in a minute or two, and then we are going to uh, wrap this thing up for the show today because uh, we've got Lakers pregame coming up. Alan Sliwa, Michael Thompson at 530. The Lakers are taking on the Bulls. John and Michael will have your call at 7, of course, on your home of the Los Angeles Lakers, world champion Los Angeles Lakers, 710 ESPN. And, of course, the Rams this weekend. Coverage begins at what time, assistant program director, um, scared executive Greg Bergman. The Rams game coverage starts at 10.30 on Saturday. 10.30 a.m. on Saturday. The game kicks off at 1.40, I believe. Uh, and, of course, the action right here. Uh, no AD tonight. Um, it's Chicago. Are, are you, You're not worried at all? I mean, they're it's terrible. It's Chicago. So You and, can't have back-to-back letdowns, right? Well, it's Chicago. You can't have back-to-back letdowns. And, oh, by the way, when you're one of your best players, if not your best player, calls your defense out and you want to be back out there, then you should probably get your defense together. I expect a 20-point blowout. Whoa! LZ calling shot, shot caller. And the Rams, by the way, are, are his five, even though we're not playing this week. <laughs> They're my five. Yeah. They're um, my five. They are your five. Uh, Bergman, prediction on the Rams? I got the Seahawks winning 
Wow, nineteen thirty. That's an ugly yeah. ass game that you. Think yep, is it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be an ugly game. It's gonna be a low scoring ugly game. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Briones, uh, the Rams. Rams get it done. Rams get it done. Elsie, give me a score. Um, I'm going to go twenty eight to twenty one Rams. Wow, that's a high scoring game. All right, I'm gonna go Rams win. 20 to 17. That's what I'm going to do. Rams win 20 to 17. All right, we are done here. Uh, LZ, excellent work as always. Thank you so much. You too, brother. All right, if you missed any part of the show, uh, don't forget Stan Kasten and Bill Plaschke were both unbelievable telling stories about Tommy Lasorda. Subscribe to the Sedano and LZ podcast if you are a Dodger fan or if you just love baseball or if you just love sports or us for that matter too. Uh, you can subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, ESPN app, Google uh, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. Um, please subscribe, rate, and review. Greg, great job as well. Briones, gracias, hombre. Uh, the Lakers pregame is up next with playoff Sliwa and Michael. Tune in. They will be on in just a few moments. Stick around. Lakers and Bulls coming up after us here on 710 ESPN.